BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Before we get to today's episode, I want to tell you about a great new restaurant and bar place that we had a watch party a couple of weeks ago for UMLSU. The game was not great, but the food and drinks and the company there were, and that's Uncle Al's Cafe in Sunrise. Now, there's been an Uncle Al's Cafe for a while, a few miles away, but this is the new one. It's on the corner of Knob Hill and Sunset Strip in Sunrise. It's in the Doris Italian Market shopping center and you should go there all the time but i'm actually going to go out there this thursday because they got great drink and food specials on thursday for thursday night football also have those specials for sunday football all day long so great beer specials drink specials food specials and giveaways they've got terrific food they really have like the best wings that i've tasted in this area but the fried pickles the hamburgers everything is great there so go check them out uncle al's cafe in sunrise a couple of guys in our network always frequent the place i know oj mcduffie's in there all the time steve goldstein so definitely check it out and come by on thursday and come say hello so uncle al's cafe sunrise sunset strip and knob hill and now on with the episode Welcome to the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here, as always, with Chris Winningham. Now that you've found us, make sure that you hit the subscribe or follow button at your favorite podcast provider. You'll get all of our old episodes, including one that we just put up uh, overnight about Dwayne Wade. It's been a little bit of busy 24 hours, which is why we're getting this one to you a little bit late. Uh, And you also get all of our new episodes as soon as they post if you turn on your notifications. Also, check out all of the other podcasts in our network. We have 12 other podcasts in the network. You can find those by typing in Five Reasons Sports to your favorite podcast provider, and all of those podcasts will come up. We're also running Spotlight Pods over the weekend on this feed. This week, we did one which was a combination of Swings and Mishes with Craig Mish and also Goldie on Ice, Steve Goldstein, with an interview of Sean Thornton. Okay, now, there were two big things that happened on Sunday, Chris. And we prioritized one. I know I'm going to get a little bit of heat for that, um, no pun intended, because people think that I'm a heat homer as opposed (laughs) to the Dolphins. But we did feel like we needed to react to Dwayne Wade first. I mean, we both watched the game yesterday. You obviously were working it for WQAM. I watched it from beginning to end. I was working it, wrote four stories for Dolphin Maven, which is our new website. You should check that out. It's it's at maven.io 
backslash dolphins. You can find a ton of free content there. We have no paywall and we are credentialed with the dolphins, just like all of the newspapers and radio stations in the market. So it's not that we were ignoring the dolphins yesterday. Um, we were excited about the dolphins. I was fighting with people on Twitter about the dolphins because dolphin fans are ridiculously negative <laughs> and se- se- seem to like being sad more than they like being happy. Yeah. And actually I pulled that and, and I, I, put that on a poll and 53% of people agreed with that, that that dolphin fans are happier when the team loses because then they get to complain. So it's not like we ignored the dolphins, but we felt like we needed to handle Dwayne Wade. And then when I watched uh, the nightly newscast last night, the local sports, they all led with Dwayne. Um, And so that's, it's just the way it is in this town. He's still the biggest star in this town. So let's transition to the dolphins, Chris, and let's talk about five things that we think are sustainable and why we think dolphin fans should breathe and be happy for a change because <laughs> and should they, drop their attitude and stop being so negative and stop being so cynical and just enjoy themselves. Just enjoy a two and zero start when the Patriots are one and one when there are only seven two and zero teams in the entire NFL. Your team is one of them, and as we talked about many times here on the podcast, the national media thought this was going to be the worst team in the league, right? Yeah. Okay, and and Vegas had them at six and a half wins, which I did go over at BetDSI, so you can check that out. <laughs> use our promo code. Use our promo code Reason One Hundred One at at DSI. You are you uh, are financially incentivized to root for the Dolphins to be better. I, I'm I'm down with this. Right. This is totally counter to what I did for about <laughs> 20 years, but I am financially incentivized. Uh, but but yes, they've been good. They've been good, Chris, yes. and they've yes. been good in a lot of the right ways, like ways that I think are sustainable. And we're going to talk about those today. We've broken them in to five parts, and a couple of them are probably going to anger people. But look, uh, I, I just I just don't get it, Chris. I, I don't understand. You know, when you've had so little success for so long, I understand being beaten down. I get that. Okay. My daughter yesterday, okay, I put this on Instagram, told me she was not, she's four. She told me she was rooting for the Jets because she's tired of the Dolphins. It, it took her four <laughs> years of her life to decide, okay, what I should have decided about 25 years ago. And so, I mean, I, I mean, like one of the years of her life included a playoff appearance. Like, I, why, I, is she, why is she so upset at the she, Dolphins? She, she, she just knows. She told me the games are too long. But, but <laughs> and, and that's fair. true. Which is I fair. mean, last week, last week it was seven hours and seven minutes. So, yeah, the <laughs> The, the, the games are too long and she, and she wanted to watch Vampirina or Fancy Nancy. And, and I understand, you know, that desire that she has. But look, uh, the reality is uh, the Dolphins are playing pretty good football right now. And people should feel good about that. And they should be taunting the national media members who basically looked at San- Landry, Sue and Pouncey and said, oh, my God, what are they doing? Like those three guys, those are their three be- most important players, not realizing that one Pouncey couldn't stay healthy and wasn't good in some areas last year when he played. Landry was a guy who required 120 targets and got you eight yards a catch. And Sue, yes, uh, Sue was a very effective player, but not a game-changing player, not worth the contract that they paid him. And they replaced those three guys with four or five players who fit better who fit the modern NFL better, who fit Adam Gase better, who are cheaper. And you and I both like those acquisitions. Three yards per carry loved those acquisitions. I mean, those guys, um, look, they had them all at 10 or nine wins. I mean, I had them at seven or eight. So look, yep. I mean, they, they were more optimistic than I was, but I didn't think they were going to be the worst team in football. And so before we get to the five points here, your general thoughts on the team so far. I think it's been really interesting to see the manner in which they've gone about these victories. And particularly, I look at it from a defensive point of view, because I would say actually I was much more concerned about that side of the ball than the offense. And if you take out a special teams touchdown that Tennessee scored in week one, 
they've only given up 25 points. And I was actually, and, and you say that you know, obviously Dominican Sue did not have a defense changing impact, but he was still a ridiculously good player. I think a much better player what he did than Jarvis Landry was what he did. And I was concerned going into the season that the Dolphins were not going to be able to stop the run and that defensively, they didn't really have anything that they were going to be good at. And yet for a second straight week, they generate multiple turnovers. And in the league right now, again, it's through two games, so you don't want to overreact too much. This is fascinating to me. They're third in the league in opponent yards per rushing attempt. I would not have thought that, like, last year, you look at the Dolphins in the major yards per play categories, yards per, yards per passing attempt, yards per rushing attempt, opponent yards per rushing attempt, and opponent yards per pass attempt. The Dolphins were in the bottom half of the league in every one of those categories. And for the Dolphins to be in the top three in opponent yards per rushing attempt, I, I just, it's, it's totally flooring to me in an offseason in which you give up Indomitian Sue and a linebacking core that you don't really trust very much. And yet, they have gotten the job done through two weeks against two rushing attacks that you, you went into the game pretty concerned about. Like Derrick Henry as a power rushing proposition going as a Dolphins defensive line that doesn't have any defensive tackles that you really trust yet. And then last week, the New York Jets had two rushers that had 10 carries and went over 60 yards in Crow and, and Crowell and Powell. They just ran through that Detroit Lions run defense, and the Dolphins have totally snuffed it out in consecutive weeks. So for me, my overall vantage point is that places where I thought the Dolphins were going to be weak, they've actually been strong. They were among the worst teams in the league last year in turnover margin, and this year they're one of the best. Like, it's a complete flip on the narrative going into the season in a lot of different areas. And the other point to be made here, and you're kind of making it with the Jets, is that the two teams they've beaten have won their other games. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, so I mean, we could talk about the Titans, you know, got beat up in that first game against the Dolphins and it was a strange circumstance with all the delays. But the Titans looked good yesterday, and the Jets and the Jets look great in Week One. So they good I, with Blaine Gabbert at quarterback, like it's not right. like they had Marcus Mariota. They beat the Texans straight up with Blaine Gabbert at quarterback. And, and look, they have good players on that team, like yeah. that. As we talked about before that game, and so to win that game was was critical to get off to a good start, and then to get a road win in the division and to do it the way they did it. Like I'm not saying they're going to be ten and six or eleven and five, but this idea that they're going to collapse because they always do is just so dolphin fan. It's just, it's, and, and I don't know, I, I don't know. How, I, I guess I know how dolphin fans got this way because, you know, it's kind of started in the early two thousands or the late nineties where you know, Jimmy's teams and Dave's teams would win 9, 10, 11 games. And it was never enough. And then the bottom finally fell out of it in a bunch of different circumstances. You've only really had two seasons, 2008 and 2016, that were any fun. And both of those seasons actually didn't start as well as this one did. Both of those seasons, uh, that 2008 team, as we've talked about, Tony Sperano's team started 1-3 uh, before the Wildcat. And then the team that Gase had in 2016 did not start well either, right? That team was 1-4, right? So, yep. so neither of those teams started well. So this team has started well. I know it's collapsed in the past. I understand that. Uh, but I do think that there are things that are sustainable. So let's go to part one here Chris and this is the one obviously that's the most controversial and this is also the one that drives me the craziest and I've written about I've written about this on Dolphin Maven I do not understand why Ryan Tannehill is so polarizing I, I just don't get it other than that he plays that position um, and some people will say you know that's enough okay that you know that's you know that that that's the issue here he's been playing a position for six years people are tired well five years I guess six years with the team 
people are tired of him. They kind of know what he is. And yes, there are things that you see that are frustrating. Okay. He looked a little like John Beck on that one throw yesterday uh, <laughs> that ended up in the fumble. Um, I'm not blaming him for the other one. That was Kilgore's fault. That's something else I want to talk about here. Cause I, Dan, Daniel Kilgore can't snap. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it, 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 no, it, it's not just that one, Chris. Um, Every shotgun snap was low. There were a couple of circumstances that I thought Tannehill had to adjust to the snap low, and it took him out of his rhythm. So that needs to get fixed. But, I, but if you look at um, at Tannehill overall yesterday, he was efficient. He had the fumble, but he didn't throw an interception. Yes, there were times that his pocket presence could have been better, and that has been my number one frustration with him through the years. You know that that has not improved as much as you'd like because I still don't think, even after all this time, that the position is instinctive for him. At times, he's never going to be Aaron Rodgers in that way. Okay, it's just not going to happen. But he didn't. He doesn't beat you. See that. See that's the thing that I don't get about Dolphin fans, right? Like, okay, going back to Marino, and and I'm not. Let's think of Marino's last few years. Okay, let let's stop thinking of 1984. Okay, let's. Look, I covered the 97 through 99 teams that Jimmy was the coach. Okay, I was there every day. All right, I was at every road game. I was at every home game. And Dan Marino beat you in some games, like beat the Dolphins, okay? Didn't beat the other team, he beat the Dolphins. Like, playoff game against New England, where they were pointing to where he was going to throw. Every linebacker knew where he was going to throw, and there were automatic interceptions there, okay? So even the last years of Marino were not great, okay? Look back at the numbers. He's, in my view, the greatest passer of all time. But you're thinking about pre-Achilles Marino, not post-Achilles Marino, okay? So... Then you get Jay Fiedler. I was the biggest Jay Fiedler homer around, probably because I had Thanksgiving at his house once. Uh, but that's, <laughs> I, was, I was, you know, and his grandmother liked me because Jewish grandmothers tend to. So, uh, so, you know, that was, I had a relationship with Jay. And so I maybe supported him maybe more so at times than I should have. But I also supported him because every time they tried to replace him, the guys I respected in that locker room, guys like Zach Thomas and Pat Sertan and Jason Taylor and Sam Madison would go to the coach and say, don't replace him. That happened over and over and over again. Okay, so I was more of a believer in Jay than maybe the average fan was. But the reality is Jay beat you in some games, right? They're, against the Jets, okay, Pick sixes to the house. Okay, remember some of those? Yeah. Uh, those those happened a lot. And so, and Jay beat you less than any other quarterback since Marino, uh, other than Pennington, the one year of Pennington. But the rest of it, okay, and maybe Farrat. Farrat wasn't bad that one year, but the rest of it, Dante Culpepper, Joey Harrington, Cleo Lemon, uh, AJ Feely, okay. I yeah, mean, aforementioned just, John Beck. John Beck, uh, Chad Henney, Ray Lucas, okay, Ray Lucas, two and four Ray Lucas when he replaced Jay in 2002. Okay, so Tannehill doesn't do that. Like, how many games have we come out of, Chris, where we've been like, wow, they win that game if Tannehill doesn't throw that ridiculous interception? It hasn't happened that often. It really hasn't. And so that's why I don't get why he's this polarizing to me yesterday he was fine he was a b he was a b minus there were throws he could have made he missed the deep one um to wilson which really could have finished things obviously he made the one last week the stills but to me you can win with this ryan Tannehill if he just plays like he's played the first two weeks that's fine and i don't know why some fans it's not just fans there's media members i respect chris okay and i'm not going to name all them but there's media members we've had on this podcast who i respect who have an agenda here. Like, it's just anytime he does anything wrong, there's the tweet. It's just immediately. Yep. And everything else that he does is completely ignored. And at this point, if you're arguing that he's been a problem 
for the first two weeks. Not, not that he hasn't been great. You can make that argument, but that he's been a problem for the first two weeks. If you're making that argument, you have an agenda. You have an agenda. You're not evaluating this. You have to step back, okay, mm-hmm. and look at it in full context and say, am I being real here or am I just basically baiting for clicks and for listeners? Because I feel like that's what's happening a little bit right now. I get that vantage point. I don't think he was particularly good yesterday, but I feel like that's almost the point. I think the point is that the Dolphins can now win even with kind of what's been a fairly typical road performance from Tannehill. You saw those first three, four series. They struggled to move the ball, and the game plan was hyper-conservative. I think I mentioned the turnovers earlier and how the Dolphins are now leading again in the turnover margin. They forced three, three yesterday, and I don't believe they gave up. They, they, well, they gave up the, the ones on, uh, on, on the mishandled snaps with Kilgore. But um, I, I don't think that... And then there was also kind of the 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 missed throw. The you said earlier, the John Beck was it the Garo Upremian kind of throw that kind of Tannehill whiffed on. But in general, the game plan yesterday was Ryan Tannehill don't turn the ball over. Like you threw two last week, we can't have that happen again. So it was a hyper conservative game plan, but. It was enough when you got the chances off turnovers, when you got the chances before the half with good field position, they did enough with Ryan Tannehill to score points and he threw good touchdown passes to Darby and to Albert Wilson. But I I do think that I do want to see more and some of the more advanced studies to him were not as favorable. The ESPN QBR was pretty low. Pro Football Focus thought he had a pretty poor day. But the point is that you won anyway. And that's to me, the point of quarterback play in the NFL is in a league in which Blake Bortles can beat the Patriots at home and be snaps away from getting to the to the Super Bowl, Nick Foles can win the damn thing. It's not just about the quarterback. The quarterback just needs to not kill you, and that's exactly the point that you made. Tannehill doesn't kill you. He went 17 of 23 for 168 yards and two touchdowns. Not a great day, a, fa- a fairly pedestrian day. The Dolphins are towards the bottom of the league in yards per completion. But who gives a crap? Like, let's focus on how good this team is. It's not about individually the quarterback lifting you places. It's about uh, how far does the roster take you. And you saw it on that final drive to me, and, and I was super encouraged by this, that Ryan Tannehill has the legs to still beat you with them. Like he, like, he can still run the ball. He had eight carries for 44 yards. He had more rushing yards than Frank Gore did yesterday. Like, th- that was a very important part of what the Dolphins were trying to do. They were running a super heavy RPO zone read offense, and he is still a threat to pull it down. Like, he has traits and skill sets that help the Dolphins win games. Would you like to have Aaron Rodgers? Absolutely. Like, you would love to have a guy who rises above everything that can be injured and, and get a draw off one of the best teams in the league at home. That would be fantastic if you had a quarterback that can pull you from 20 to 3 down or 20 to nothing down and beat a good Chicago team in a primetime game. That would be fantastic. The Dolphins don't have that guy. So unless you think that the Dolphins should totally blow things up, and I know people that do, and fine. Like, maybe the Dolphins should blow things up and go and find a quarterback, but... They're 2-0, and Ryan Tannehill's done a totally fine job so far, and I feel like he's going to get better as the season goes on because he generally does not start seasons well. So I feel like this is going to get better, and Ryan Tannehill's fine. He's fine. Like, when you say polarizing, like, I don't get it anymore. Like, he's 30 years old. This is who he is. He's not going to get much better or much worse. So what are we arguing about? Are you arguing that Ryan Tannehill can become a franchise quarterback? Like, no, he's not going to be that. He's not going to be totally change the the whole dynamic of your offense and totally, you know, take the team on his back and take you to the Super Bowl. Like, that's not Ryan Tannehill. So what are we arguing about? Well, we're arguing to argue. I mean, that's what a lot of people are doing right now. I mean, some people are just so dead set on their position with him that they're not going to move off of it. And, And, you know, look, I mean, we have this in our politics right now, too. And I feel like this is bled over. 
I don't know if sports has bled over into politics or politics has bled over into sports, but I mean, that's where we are. I mean, people get dead set on their position and then they're just going to focus. I mean, again, there are some people I follow on Twitter who are not media members, but they're very, they very closely follow the team. And like, as soon as he makes an overthrow, they have a video up, like it's, it's up immediately. <laughs> it's, it's just, and, and it's just, I mean, are you, you know, here's my whole thing. You know, you get a lot of heat from people in our network for the way that you watch the heat. Okay. Like not enjoying it. And I just feel like that's what Dolphins fans are doing now. Like they're not enjoying it. They're just they're just waiting for him to make a mistake so they can say, oh, he made a mistake or they're waiting for him to make a great play so that they can justify their argument against the people who are, you know, so so virulent on the other side. Like I I just I don't get it. Uh, Like you said, he's fine. He's fine. I have him. You know, so I did this polling on Twitter. You know, people had him, you know, sort of not as good as in some cases, Derek Carr kind of around there, around Stafford, maybe, uh, you know, Stafford's more inconsistent than Tannehill, actually, like Stafford has better games than Tannehill has, but he also has much worse games. Like, I, you know, you're going to get more of a roller coaster with Stafford. Like to me, he's somewhere between 12 and 16. Like I, that's that's where he is. It's probably where he's going to stay. And I think what we've seen from Nick Foles the first couple of weeks here, and part of that is because Philadelphia's receiver situation is is a disaster right now. But what we've seen from Nick Foles is like he wasn't a top 12 to 16 quarterback last year. He just played like one in the playoffs like he but he's really not like he's had other opportunities, you know, to play in other places like the Rams and hasn't worked out. And so, like you said, if you can win with Nick Foles getting hot with a really good team around him, you can win with Ryan Tannehill being relatively hot with the kind of team that they finally put around him that I think makes sense. And and we're going to touch on more of that here as we go forward. And the second piece of this is the defense, because if the defense is good, like if this is sustainable, then yeah, Ryan Tannehill's good enough. Like if they're going to play defense the way they played in the first two weeks, and particularly with the combination of things that they're doing. So the two strengths of this team, I think offense, defense, or otherwise, are their secondary and their pass rush. Like, to me, those are the two things that I look at, and I'm like, yeah, like, they they have something going there. And we talked about the first game. They really didn't get a ton of pressure. This game, they did. They got three sacks. They were in Tar- Darnold's face a lot. They didn't have to bring extra blitzers. And when you can combine a pass rush like they've had, and most of it's been Robert Quinn, actually, okay, and yeah. we're talking about the new guys. But when you combine a pass rush that they have with – what looked like two pretty damn good cornerbacks on the outside. And again, credit to Chris Kaufman for this because our guy CK Parrott over three yards per carry was pushing this two months ago. Okay. When let's be honest, the beat guys down here were saying this wasn't going to happen. This wasn't an option. Uh, He was pushing this two months ago that Bobby McCain could be the boundary corner because Bobby McCain had been really good as a boundary corner last year. And Bobby McCain's been really good. Okay. I, I, the only two times he's really shown up to me is he's made plays and Xavier Howard, not only have has he basically locked down his guy each of the first two weeks and has done this now through about week 12 of last season, but he also had a critical, critical play in the game, which was, a, you know, a toe tapping interception on, on, you know, in the back of the end zone when that game looked like it was turning. So you're talking about a really good cornerback situation two guys at safety that you feel great about, right? Like Rashad Jones made another huge play yesterday. Didn't get talked about as much. That stop at the one before the half, they won by eight. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and the Jets were getting the ball coming out of the half. So if Rashad Jones doesn't make that play, that game looks different. And that comes after a two interception plus a tackle for a loss game against the Titans. So your two safeties are 
look like they're terrific. Minka, our guy, Uptown Report, Alfredo Artiega at three yards per carry, put this out yesterday. This was as of the third quarter that the Jets had tested Minka Fitzpatrick for 100 air yards to that point, and he had not allowed a completion to that stage. Wow. So they test they tested him, and it did not work. And that came after the first week where Chris Kaufman had him, I think the, the rating was fourth in the entire league in terms of uh, yards allowed per play. So uh, you're talking about two safeties that look like they could be elite right from the very start, two corners who are playing at an elite level, a pass rusher in Robert Quinn, who is the real deal. That's the best fourth round pick the Dolphins have spent in a long, long time, <laughs> okay, a long, long time. And Cameron Wake hasn't even really gotten going yet, okay, on the other side. And this tells you how negative the narrative is on the Dolphins. Some clown, I can't remember who it is, okay, but it is somebody I follow because usually I, I, I don't call him a clown because he does some actual film study. But his first thing that he came up with after the game yesterday was the Dolphins drafted Charles Harris in the first round and he's their fourth or fifth defensive end. <laughs> who gives a flying bleep? I mean, seriously, yeah. like, I mean, if, if, you, if you're going to complain about a first-round pick not playing yesterday, complain about Devontae Parker. That's a whole other issue. But, like, Charles Harris... The reason he's not playing, I don't know if it's because he's not good. They have Robert Quinn, who's been a you know a double digit sack guy. Cameron Wake, who's been consistently a double digit sack guy. They're playing. They're paying Andre Branch a lot of money, and he's been resurgent. And they want to get William Hayes on the field as much as possible. That's why Charles Harris is not playing. To focus on that is ridiculous. And they Charles have Harris had a sack yesterday that was negated by a defensive holding. Like, right. It's not. It's not right. like he hasn't you know made at least a couple of flashing signs. Right. So, again, this I, I don't understand the, the negativity from the fan base, from the media, et cetera, because I see things on this defense. And I know you want to touch on this, too. The linebackers, with the exception of Raekwon, who got obliterated by Powell on that catch. I mean, yeah. that was pretty awful. Took the wrong angle, then didn't recover. But the linebacking play has been fine. And Kiko, in particular, has been really good. Yeah. And, and for me, the, the entirety of that defense, and you kind of went through all of it, you, you mentioned the importance of the way that the, the Dolphins got that stop on Herndon right before halftime. But I would also say that the interception that they got right after Tannehill turns the ball over deep in your own territory, and then Xavier Howard gets a, an interception in the back of the end zone, like those turnovers came up in important times. And for me, you look at the box score, and it does kind of highlight how important watching the game is. Because I see Sam Darnold's stat line, 25 of 41 for 334 yards and a touchdown. That's not the game that I saw. And I, I think that you, you have to like understand the scenario that the Jets are behind 20 to nothing at halftime, and they're going to air it out. And they're going to get some yards because the Dolphins were kind of playing a bit loose. But in general, the pass defense was phenomenal. The pass rush was phenomenal. And it's something that it's really hard to get quarterbacks to have kind of reduced uh, completion percentage just because of the way that offenses work now. But for a second straight week, the Dolphins have kept their opponent either at around 60% or below 60% when you factor in the Titans. So they've done really, for me, a terrific job of everything you'd want out of a modern NFL defense. They stop the run without committing too many resources. They're generating turnovers. And I'm just super optimistic about this defense right now when, again, I did not think we'd be in this position. I think the Dolphins, it's not like they're, to me, they're playing bottom of the league offenses like Tennessee they've got some talented players albeit without their offensive linemen right now the Jets looked really good in week number one particularly in the run game Isaiah Crowell less than three yards a carry Bilal Powell six yards on five carries like the run defense is everything you want it to be and more and the secondary is an area where you're kind of looking around going where are the standout players which of these young guys is going to step up 
and it's been Bobby McCain, it's been Xavier Howard, it's been Minka Fitzpatrick, and Rashad Jones has looked like the pro bowler that he's always been. So I, I'm super encouraged by this defense right now going forward. And you look at sort of their upcoming opponent. Obviously, the Oakland Raiders are next. Uh, they blew a 19-point lead away from home yesterday against Denver. But that's another kind of short passing team. And you, you stop their power running game, and you're in a good position. So I, I'm just I'm super encouraged by a, a defense right now. And like you said, people just look for areas to be negative. And I don't think this defense right now through two weeks has shown you anything but positive signs about what their plan was. And this is something that we talked about as it relates to their offseason. It seems like they had a plan on defense to figure out where they're going to be. Now, it kind of took a detour because part of that plan was Cordray Tankersley playing boundary corner, but Bobby, Bobby McCain, as you said, has done the job perfectly well. So I love the way that this, that this defense has looked through two weeks. Well, and the other guy we didn't mention, you know, the guy we were worried about in coverage was TJ McDonald, and mm -hmm. he had a pick. Uh, yep. So, you know, so, I mean, they got contributions. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Miami Heat. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. For just about everybody, the Alonzo resurgence is the surprise to me because he was bad last year. And let's just be honest. We were talking about ways to try to cut him, and they couldn't. They probably would have cut him if it didn't cost them more to cut him than to keep him. 
he's had two really good weeks. He's made plays both weeks. Uh, he had, I think, 17, was 16 or 17 tackles yesterday. He was all over the place. And they weren't um, the kind of tackles that were seven, eight yards behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, he was making impact plays. So he's been good. Uh, Raekwon McMillan's got some work to do. That's clear. Um, I, I still worry about their coverage, you know, in the middle of their zones, particularly, um, you know, against tight ends. I think that's an issue against backs. But for right now, uh, you know, it hasn't hurt them too badly. They've had a couple of plays in each game uh, that you'd like to take back. This is the Five Reasons Sports Network, Miami Sports On Demand. We now have 13 podcasts in the network posting roughly 15 times per week, all absolutely free. Find all of our shows on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Podbean. Plus, become a member of our patron feed and you'll get even more fresh content. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Here's some of what you missed last week on Balls Cast. It's legitimately dreadful watching the Dolphins, man. Like, is this, <laughs> is it worth it to be a Dolphin fan? Like, this is, this feels terrible. If you want to get involved as a sponsor or a contributor, reach out to us at number five reason sports on Twitter. Don't forget to punch five reasons in your search bar and then hit subscribe. All right, let's get to part three here, which, you know, we've mentioned some of them, but the new guys and the plan and Josh Sitton didn't play yesterday. And that was an issue. Um, it was an issue. Yep. Now, I, I, some of our guys, three yards per carry thought it might not be as much, uh, but it was Ted Larson. Uh, the middle of the, the pressure yesterday of Tannehill came up the middle. And that is problematic for a quarterback because it, it, it takes away his ability to step up. Now, thankfully for the Dolphins, Tannehill was able to get out and make some plays also on some design boots. So they did have a counter to it, but that, that, that will be a problem um, if they don't fix the left guard situation. So the sitting injury, I, you know, it takes a little bit away from the offseason because it's not their fault. Okay. And that's the other thing. There were some media guys who were blaming them for the sitting injury because he'd had previous ankle problems. Like, okay, but he didn't hurt his ankle. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, he hurt his shoulder. Yep. And, you know, you went out and addressed a position that you needed to address and you got the best player who was available. You didn't overpay that much. I, again, don't have a problem with that. But even taking sitting out of it, the other four core guys that they picked up this offseason have all made an impact in the first two games. Albert Wilson, they used him out of the Wildcat. Uh, he had a touchdown, which was the kind of play, honestly, Chris, that Jarvis Landry probably wouldn't have made. Right. Um, that was a play that was made with quickness and space. And that's what he gives them. Wilson gives them that Landry didn't necessarily give them. So I'm not saying that's an upgrade. I'm just saying there, look, there are things that Landry does that he's not going to be able to do, but there are things he does that Landry couldn't do. And when you're talking about less than half the price that worked out pretty well. So that's one, two Amendola Tannehill nearly got him killed. Okay. But, (laughs) but he, but he did make the catch in the center of the defense and he got up and he kept playing and he has shown you why he's been trusted by by big time quarterbacks because he will make that type of play for you. And I just think he's good to have in that room. Robert Quinn, we've talked about him. I think he's been with Rashad Jones, one of the two best players on the defense so far. Um, I think that's Patrick and Xavier and Howard are right there with him, but Quinn's been terrific and he's given you what you've not had opposite wake since Vernon left, which is, you know, a legitimate pass rusher on the other side, not someone we're going to reward because he had five sacks like Andre branch, but somebody who can get you a dozen and can give you consistent pressure. So he's been great. And the other guy made the play of the game, in my opinion. I mean, Frank Gore, someone, not only was he fourth, is he fourth now all time in rushing? which is amazing. I sat across from him, Chris, when he was 20 years old, uh, playing at UM, coming off major knee surgery, 
Um, mother was dying of, of cancer. Okay. L grew up in a single home. Frank, if you don't know, has had reading problems his whole life. Okay. They, he was, t he was taking extra tutoring just to get by at UM. He was playing in a backfield with, I believe, McGahee and Portis, right? So two guys who ended up having elite, elite NFL careers. By the way, the Canes now have five of the top 41 uh, rushing yard guys in, uh, in NFL history. Um, those, th those three guys, Edger and James and OJ Anderson. So they've got five of the top 41 ever. And Frank Gore, after all of that, is fourth all time in rushing, fourth. Um, beloved by his teammates. And the other thing you see is why they got him yesterday because he makes a play that that pass by Tannehill was not a good throw and Tannehill would have been getting killed for that throw and part of it was again the snap from Kilgore was low but the throw from Tannehill was low and Gore not only picks it but picks up the necessary yardage on a third and 19 to basically kill the game and if you look at how many backs they've gone through complementary backs feature backs whatever to try to kill a game and Frank Gore did it for them. He did it for them differently than you would have expected, but he did it for them. And so all four of their acquisitions, and I look, you and I have both been hard on Mike Tannenbaum. Okay, we did a podcast before their offseason acquisitions about is this really the right guy? But the reality is Tannenbaum and Greer, so far, the returns are like an A. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> on what they did on what they did this offseason. When you're getting major contributions from those four guys, not even including Sitton, again, Kilgore is starting at center. So I, you know. Needs to get better, but he's starting at center. But the other four guys have been really big for them, and they deserve credit for that. And we talk all the time as well about the Miami Heat and the long-term contracts they gave out that now look bad for them. And part of the reason why is because you can still get that sort of improvement to where, okay, at least you feel better about the contract you gave out as opposed to it kind of being an unredeemable and totally unfixable situation. And then I would say one of the worst moves that he made so far was the Kiko Alonso extension when I'm not sure there were teams banging down the doors to give him the money that the Dolphins gave him. And Kiko Alonso goes out and delivers a performance that you feel really good about yesterday and kind of helped win you the game and led the team in tackles and put in a really good shift for a team. And I think now he's playing in his right position and it's clearly looking like it. So it, it's not just about the new acquisitions, it's about old acquisitions kind of turning good. You look as well at the number of draft picks that have made an impact, Tannenbaum draft picks that have made an impact. You look at uh, Devon Gottschow, Jerome Baker played some yesterday, has kind of been in and out of the lineup and, and had some questions about him, but he obviously makes an impact. Kenyon Drake making an impact. Uh, Jakeem Grant as well, uh, again, continuing to be an important part of the receiving game. Like, draft picks making impacts, new acquisitions making impacts, and I, I, I again go back to that run defense, you can kind of criticize the Dolphins for basically going with the familiar. I think Adam Gase has done some of that on offense, bringing in Jay Cutler, bringing in Julius Thomas, that it's say, okay, these are players that you've worked with before. But one of them, one of the situations in which it's worked is they brought a new defensive line coach, Chris Kosurik, and he's someone who comes from Detroit. And he brought in Akeem Spence, who played for him in Detroit. And you'd figure, okay, you're pairing a D-line coach and a D-tackle. This better work because you're kind of relying on prior experience. And it has worked. Akeem Spence has played a lot for the Dolphins on, on the interior of that defensive line. And as I've talked about a bunch, they're stopping the run very well. So, like you said, every move that they've made has absolutely panned out, except for the sitting one. And again, that's kind of out of your purview. Yes, you're signing a, an offensive lineman in his early to mid-30s, and that can blow up in your face, and it did blow up in their face. But other than that, I, I, even beyond just sort of necessarily picking out these new players, who would you say right now isn't pulling their weight 
for the Dolphins. Like maybe Kilgore, as you mentioned, with his poor snapping, but it just doesn't seem like there are a lot of Dolphins right now that are playing poorly. Or you're saying in that area, the Dolphins don't have the requisite amount of talent. It seems like everywhere, they're well-stocked both with frontline starters and a little bit of depth. Maybe not the greatest depth, but a little bit of depth to where you can survive a couple of injuries. So I would say there isn't an area in the team right now where you're, you're not getting good pass rush. You're not getting decent linebacker play, good corner play, good safety play. The offensive line, I thought, had kind of a, a, a little bit of a nightmare yesterday, but the Jets can do that to you. And I thought Ryan Tannehill didn't help, him out, help them out with how long he was taking to throw the ball. The running game looks solid. The receiving game and the number of options that they have, like just sort of area to area on the team, there doesn't feel like there are many weak links right now. And that is a full credit to this front office where I would say the Dolphins have had more than one and in a, and a couple of cases, three and four weak links on a given unit. And I feel like it's a massive upgrade. I would just say in that area, to me, football is a weak link sport, and the Dolphins don't seem to have many right now. They don't, and it's not just that they don't have Pouncey, Sue, or Landry, but they don't have Devontae Parker either. And and let's not forget that because he was supposed to be a big part of this. He was supposed to be their number one receiver. And it's just apparent at this stage that that's not going to happen. And we talked about it uh, on the pod last week, but look, he practiced all week, right? And then didn't dress. And, and so that strikes me as more role and performance than it does strike me as injury. And I know, you know, our guy, Chris Chambers, you know, went out on Twitter after I tweeted that yesterday and kind of supported Devante. And I know there were some issues there and Devante got upset about Chris calling him a, you know, the third best receiver on the team. And Chris said, look, uh, you know, broken fingers can be difficult to come back from. I, and, and he talked about his, which I remember. It took him some time to come back. But he did practice all week. So what was he practicing all week for and then not playing, except the team felt that they didn't need him this week. So they basically moved on from him. And you've talked about that many times about how they had a plan for that, that this offseason. But their two starting receivers last year were supposed to be Landry and Parker. They don't have either of them. And their receiving core looks better. Yeah, it looks better. And, and they did. And they didn't really get Kenny Stills involved yesterday either. But you mentioned Grant and you look at the targets. That's the big thing to me is at the half yesterday. They had three guys with three targets and three guys with two targets. Mm-hmm. And Gasicki wasn't even one of them. And Parker wasn't dressed. So uh, that to me is the kind of diversity that you were looking for in this offense and they're getting it. And so I do think the front office. And it was for me, it was always why that idea that Jarvis Landry not being there to be a reliable pass catcher on his zillion targets. Like, Oh, how are you going to replace him? Well, you replace him by just throwing the ball to other people and in other places, like it's going to go to somewhere. It's not like pass attempts are going to vanish because Jarvis Landry left. Like, you're gonna throw the ball. You're gonna throw the ball to somebody, and in all likelihood, they're gonna make that play. And and that's what the Dolphins' plan was, and why you're not giving eighty million dollars to a guy who got you nine yards per catch. Like you're just not. No, you're not. All right, so let's move on to the next part of this. Um, the other thing that was promising, part four here, I've mentioned it a little bit, was that they killed off the game, yeah. and they've only done that a couple of times that I really remember with Adam Gase, and it was Ajayi who did it. And yesterday, the way that they did it with about six and a half minutes left, you know, I've been tweeting, you know, they need to get their backs involved in the passing game. Because to me, that when you look at pressure up the middle that they were getting, the receiver's kind of inability to get open down the field, which was a consistent thing. And I got to say, the CBS broadcast drove me crazy yesterday because <laughs> I, it, it just did. Because, I mean, the one thing that you want to see is, you know, why are the sacks happening, right? Or mm-hmm. why is the pressure happening? And Tannehill was holding the ball, holding the ball, holding the ball, and they never once, okay, the, the really good crews will do this, okay, you'll see this on NBC, you'll see, is down the field, 
you'll see what's happening. They never showed it. So mm -hmm. if you're watching on television, if you're not at the game, you can't see it. But people who were at the game were saying that the Dolphin receivers were not getting open, okay, in a lot of those situations. The Jets had them pretty well blanketed. And so what the Dolphins did was they got their backs involved in the short passing game, and that was effective. First it was Drake, obviously the one to Gore. There was a pretty decent mix there. Uh, they made enough plays. Tannehill with the runs, those were critical in terms of extending drives. And for a team that has had trouble staying on the field and converting third downs, the ability to continually do that during that drive to stay on the field and to end it when you had an eight point lead where you didn't even need to kick the field goal, right? Like that you didn't even need to put yourself up by one more than one score uh, was impressive. And that's the kind of thing that you need to do on the road. So that was another positive that I took out of yesterday. I agree. And the Tannehill running portion of it for me is massive because it does kind of show that even though he's coming off of multiple knee injuries and you don't want to put him in too many bad situations to perhaps re-injure that, Adam Gay still trusts him to run the ball, and you saw, and we talked we talked about sort of when you think about Ryan Tannehill's knee and the fact that he hadn't played in close to two years, it's when he's running, right? And when he's got to fall or when he's going to slide or when he's kind of bent in an awkward direction, I think the fact also that he has the athleticism and the speed to finish off those runs and get to the corner before the linebacker does or, you know, get, get in ahead of the corner to, to try and reach for that first down marker. He did it multiple times yesterday to a fair amount of success, and I don't think the Jets were really prepared for how much the Dolphins are going to be comfortable running the ball with Ryan Tannehill, and it absolutely came off. And those are huge in killing off the game. And like you said, you're playing on the road. Offensively, I don't think it was the best performance, and I thought that there were areas that they could certainly improve. But most importantly is that you got the job done, and yes, you didn't score a single point in the second half, but you got the ball with six minutes left to play, and how many times do we see the Dolphins not able to do anything with it? And you mentioned Frank Gore making the play. Like, it doesn't have to be Ryan Tannehill making an incredible play. It doesn't have to be, you know, the, 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 the Dolphins flying down the field and all of a sudden, you know, being this juggernaut that, you know, is unstoppable. Like, sometimes it is one player making a play that you otherwise wouldn't have expected, whether it's Frank Gore making a catch or Ryan Tannehill making a run. They got the ball with six minutes left and the Jets never touched it again. That is a fact that is, I mean, that is just so important to winning games away from home. The Dolphins have generally, they're six, they were six and ten going in yesterday uh, in the Adam Gase era in games on the road, six and eleven if you want to include the playoff game against Pittsburgh. They have generally not been good on the road, and that's how you kill off games on the road. And for all the talk about, okay, maybe it could have been better, or here were some things that I saw that weren't great, you got a road win against a division rival against a team that probably had the best week one of any team in the NFL. You got the job done, and no matter the manner in which you did it, it's huge, and the fact that you're able to do it in a way that really inspires confidence for me is massive going forward. All right, and let's look ahead now in part five uh, to go forward to the Raiders, and the other thing that I took out of that game yesterday, and I think you did too, is that there are still things they can clean up, and to me that's a positive at this stage when you're getting enough guys who are playing well, you're 2-0, and you've got a road win, you've got a division win, you've got two conference wins. Uh, the Patriots lose a game to the Jaguars yesterday and look like, and again, I, I never overreact to the Patriots early in the season because Belichick doesn't even put everything in until game five, six, or seven. He likes he likes his players to master things in the first few games. And I believe they'll get a receiver somewhere, which will help them. And they're getting Edelman back in week five. Gronk is healthy. The Patriots will be fine. But the reality is they're one and one and you're two and oh. And at least your position now to make this thing interesting in week four, which by the way, we're having a, uh, a, a Texas Roadhouse watch party 
on September 30th for Dolphins Patriots. So come out for that because who knows? The Patriots might be chasing the Dolphins for first place. It's a good gamble on that. It's, it's certainly has come off well, huh? Yeah, that was uh, that worked out all right, right? So we're doing one September 30th at Texas Roadhouse in Miramar, uh, one of our sponsors, so definitely check that out. But the thing I take out of this is they're not playing at peak level offensively yet. I think there's more they can get to. I think there are more ways they can use stills. I would like to see Drake uh, get even more touches than he's mm-hmm. getting currently. I still feel like Adam Gase is reluctant to run the ball with the lead. I don't understand it. The third and one, that they threw on and Ryan ends up throwing across the field. Like coach case doesn't need to show the world how smart he is all the time. Right. Like (laughs) if if they go 10 and six with this roster, people are going to say he's smart. Like the the third one throw is just not necessary there. You've got Gore and Drake. Okay. That you don't, you don't need a a drop back and that kind of throw. Um, But there's more they can get to. And that's one of the positives that I took out of this. And, and so, yeah, getting back to our original point here on the pod, Chris, I'm not saying that they're going to be 10 and six or 11 and five. I just say that there looks like there's a direction now. I kind of get it. I see where they're going. I haven't felt that way about this team in a while. Um, and so it's, it's good. And, and I think if they can look, Cameron Wake hasn't had a game yet, right? Like that's probably coming. I still think that that's in him. Um, I, I still believe that we're looking, you know, there's going to be a Drake 120 yard game in there somewhere. Uh, so I, I, I look Gasicki, right? Like, yeah, I haven't has, seen has much from been, him. Has not been utilized at all. I mean, who would have guessed the first touchdown from a tight end for the Dolphins this year would have been A.J. Derby and not Gesicki. Mm-hmm. So so there's more that they can get to. Uh, they've got a winnable game coming up here this week. Uh, the Raiders are not great. Uh, we know that. They have, obviously, a pretty good quarterback, but a lot of the, the pieces around that team it appears to be a bit of a mess. between and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's West Coast going East to play. Which is always at 1 o'clock. At 1 o'clock, yeah. and, and what's going to be hot. It's going to be right. hot, and the Raiders are going to be wearing black. And I would say right now that represents the biggest home field advantage in the league. So, so I think that's good. So, I mean, you know, we're going to get on to the Canes here in a second, but just final thoughts on this before we move on to, uh, to the Hurricanes and their weekend. Yeah, I would say, you know, after the Raiders game, it gets pretty tough. You're at the you're at the Patriots and you're at the Bengals, but then you've got home games with the Bears and the Lions. And for me, I'm just so pleased that through two games, you really don't go into any game except for, I would say at New England is going to be damn hard. At Green Bay is going to be damn hard. At Minnesota is going to be damn hard. But we knew that before the season. I would say every other game, you go in feeling like you have a chance. Yeah, Cincinnati's good, but you don't feel like they're going to totally destroy you. Like maybe, like there was some fear that this would be one of the three worst teams in the league. They are not. And I would also say this, that even though they're 2-0, and I would say there is usually a team every year that feels like they're doing it, but maybe it's going to be a fluke. Like maybe Tampa Bay and Ryan Fitzpatrick is not going to continue long into the future. Obviously, the, the, the Bucks fans have the same hope that the Dolphins fans do, but I don't feel like what's happened so far has been a fluke. The defense that they've played has not been a fluke. The way in which they've scored points and moved the ball has not been a fluke. And I would say that generally going forward, this is not a bad football team. This is a team that will compete in almost every game they play in this year. And I would say that's more than you might have been able to expect at the start of the season. So I would just say generally hugely encouraged. And so let's get to the next piece of this. By the way, Ryan Fitzpatrick is Chris Anderson. If Chris Anderson went to Harvard, basically, that's... (laughs) That, 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 that's who he is. Certainly the volume uh, of his beard is. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's reminding me a lot of him. Josh Darrow here, host of the Five Rings podcast, where it's always a Canes thing on the Five Reasons Sports Network. What are we about? Pretty easy. I want to tell stories, and I want to share the journey for the players and coaches, past and present, affiliated with the University of Miami. Take Manny Diaz. He grew up in Miami. 
He grew up going to the Orange Bowl. It was, you know, it was all those 1980s teams. You know, that that's where it all started for me, and just just the style of play and. And really, it was. It really took hold when Jimmy Johnson was here, and you know, sitting there in the Orange Bowl in '86 when we we're whipping Oklahoma, and just you know what I mean, just just speed and then violence. You know what I mean? It, 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 you know, we're not only you know, you know, Nebraska it was a changing of college football. It's those kind of memories we want to share with you. Listen, subscribe, rate, review. We appreciate the support. The Five Rings Podcast, where it's always a Canes thing, and we're always a part of the five reasons sports network. So this was a pretty great uh, sports weekend down here in South Florida. Like the first good one I can remember in a while. Wade comes back. The Dolphins win. FAU wins. FIU wins. FSU looks pathetic. Again. <laughs> and I know there's Knowles fans, including our friend Missy Buck Iglesias, uh, who's, who's part of our network who does our social media, who's a big Knowles fan. So I apologize for that. But they're probably the seventh best team in the state right now uh somewhere somewhere beneath ucf usf fau uh and fiu i think at this stage but so it was a really good weekend for south florida sports but also because the canes won they run a won a road game and they won a road game that you thought would be a very difficult game i believe you uh you took the points with toledo i, I gave did yes points, although i still lost my teaser because oklahoma didn't cover but <laughs> anyway uh, i keep losing teasers that way on bet dsi but you're just just your general thoughts here real quick on on the canes as we kind of move forward to what appears to be a pretty easy stretch uh, no offense to fiu no offense to butch but a, a relatively easy stretch of their schedule yeah and and i would say no uh, north carolina and fsu definitely fit into that portion of easy schedule if the if the hurricanes don't i understand it's a rivalry game and and kind of like last year where, you know, it was you thought that Miami had a good chance to win. But, you know, even Florida State with its true freshman backup quarterback gave you a game and maybe even could have beaten you. Um, I, I just think that right now, the way that Miami is playing, they should be mowing through their schedule until they get to BC away from home uh, towards the end of October. BC is actually off to a really good start. I think it's going to be really a, a really tough game. But I think you saw a few things in the Miami game. Number one. We, we talked about this a lot. You remember a couple of years ago when they played Appalachian State away from home, and it was the biggest game there too. And it was, you know, why why are the why are the Hurricanes playing these kind of mid-major teams away from home? Are they in that kind of desperate need of money? I kind of like those games where you're the biggest show in town, and no one can get a ticket, and it's holy crap, the Hurricanes are in town. It kind of gives you that sense of you know that that inflated sense of self, and I think gives the Hurricanes team that sort of feeling like, oh yeah, we're we're a big show wherever we go and we have to start acting like it and I would say that you know the other positive thing is how well they ran the ball the fact that they kind of discovered DJ Dallas as really for me he's their number one running back as much as Travis Homer did a job last year in, in filling in for Mark Walton DJ Dallas is their number one running back and I hope that they kind of discovered that yesterday they're still going to use everyone but it's DJ Dallas and Malik Rozier I think played the kind of game that sort of is on the high end of what Malik Rozier can give you. Completing some completing some passes downfield, running the ball very well. I would say he is much more a running quarterback than a passing quarterback at this point. And I wonder if Mark Rick for these big games is going to adjust to, yeah, we're going to be 65-70% run and maybe take a shot every once in a while, which Malik Rozier is good at. I, I, I enjoyed the sort of post-game banter with him uh, using the, the, the finger over the mouth emoji and saying it wasn't just for Toledo. Obviously at the Bethune-Cookman, or I'm sorry, Sorry, the Savannah State game, he was well booed, like loudly and strongly booed at the game. And I think Hurricane fans are about done with him. But 
I think beating these mid-major teams away from home where you kind of go into the game and Toledo had some good advanced metrics and I noted that on Twitter and they gave you a good game last year and you're building. I thought this would be a close game. No, if you're a decent college football team, you beat the crap out of a team from the MAC. And they did it, and and they and even when Toledo made their way back into the game after halftime, after Miami led by twenty one nothing, you never felt like Miami was in any danger of that game being competitive because they just didn't let them move the ball nearly at all, particularly on the ground, which was clearly the emphasis of their offense. If you're a, if you're a team, the status of Miami, you go on the road and you beat the crap out of a team like Toledo, and they did. They never gave them a chance on both sides of the ball. They ran the ball down their throats. Uh, Malik Rozier was very good on the ground, and I would say now you kind of have outlined the game plan of what it's going to look like at its best. Now, are you going to be able to run the ball on LSU? Clearly, has an amazing defense. It's going to be damn hard, but that's the way that they're going to win football games. Yeah, and and like I said, uh, just be happy about it that they're moving in the right direction. I mean, I don't know that we're going to know how good they are until they play Virginia Tech. Honestly, yep. looking at their schedule, like I I feel like that's what it's setting up as, but. You know, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's been so dry down here in South Florida in terms of really competitive teams that if you can get, you know, look, if if they pound FSU, which should happen at this stage, I was looking at FSU's schedule, man. They may not win three games. I mean, yeah. they, they, may, they really might not. I mean, Taggart, may not, he's probably going to survive the season and, and probably beyond, I believe, because he's got that ridiculous buyout. And, and that's a topic for another day. But I just do not understand why public universities in this country – uh, when tuition is as expensive as it is, okay, when there's so many other things you're trying to fund, why public universities give out these contracts. That it's not just the money, it's the buyouts. It's like you can't get out of them. You're paying these guys forever. And that is, again, that's a public university, FSU. It's not like Miami. Miami makes a decision. It's Miami's decision. I mean, Willie Taggart, they're stuck with him now for, I think, at least two years because you cannot justify paying him what is $20 million, whatever it is, to go away. Like, that, that's... You just you just can't do that with all the resources you're trying to devote to the university. So um, I don't know that we're going to find out how good Miami is against FSU. Probably will against Virginia Tech, but it looks like both both teams are going to be competitive for a little while, and that's a good thing. All right, we'll have these recaps every Monday. It'll be the first episode we put out most weeks. Also, later this week, we're going to talk to Wayne Ellington as uh, as Eric Reed, who's been on our podcast, calls him the man with the golden arm. Will sit down with us, uh, talk about basketball, three point shooting, but also he's had a pretty interesting life. And uh, Wayne's a great, great interview. So, looking forward to that. We're going to talk to him, and then we will have a full presence. We got six people covering Heat Media Day next monday so we will be um just about everywhere coming up so check out our podcast check out dolphin maven check out heatbeatmiami.com and try to smile a little bit we'll talk to you soon bet mgm has an unreal deal for sports fans in maryland turn five dollars into 150 dollars instantly when you place your first wager at bet mgm simply download the bet mgm app and sign up using code old line 150 then place a five dollar wager on any sport you'll receive 150 dollars in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome and if you think the fun stops there the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store check out daily promotions same game parlays live bets and so much more download the app in maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. 
New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.